Some things never change. Most things do, but some things don't, correct? Uh, what never changes? Jesus, Baptist, water freezes at 32 degrees, and on Wednesday, you've got to pay taxes, don't you? And that's, uh, those are pretty consistent things. Well, in Judges chapter 3 this evening, we're going we're gonna to look at a block of Scripture, starting in verse 7 through 31. And we're going to look at three fundamental principles that never, ever change. Now, it's been a while since we've been in Judges. Uh, Just a quick review. The Israelites are trying with great difficulty to conquer uh, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And and the whole book is kind of the, it's their story of success and failure, failure, success, back and forth. And we're going to see tonight the introduction of the first three judges. Now, a judge to them was not completely what it would be to you and me. We think of a judge as a person in a black robe uh, who has a gavel. Uh, the judge in, this, this, uh, in the book of Judges, named after these judges, was a person who could uh, act as an arbitrator and a person who could hear uh, uh, cases and make decisions. But it was also, uh, in, in summary, it was a leader. It was a person that, that stepped up, and in the Israelites' case, that God brought in to help lead them and to arbitrate and help these people move forward. So we're going to look at the first three judges. But let's begin with principle number one. When you get away from God, things will go bad. You get away from God, don't be surprised when things do not go well. In verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. Who are the Baals and the Asherahs? Well, these are the fertility gods. These are part of this fertility religion. Now listen, this is very interesting. Part of the worship of the Baals was for success, materially, financially, and other ways. You can turn on TV tonight and hear that same message preached profoundly, can't you? People have always been looking for uh, a way to, uh, to, to reach God so it would benefit them financially and, and materially. Uh, now, Asheroth was the female goddess, kind of the, the, uh, the, the co-goddess there with Baal, these fertility gods. Now, here's what the people believe. So maybe this will help you make sense. They had, they had, a lot of times you'd think of a wooden idol, maybe they, they carved at vintage tables or somewhere like that. And they, they would make these idols, and what they, what they would presume or assume is that the, the bells, these gods, would take up residence in these, these wooden idols. You following me? Okay, this is an idol, and a Baal god or goddess has taken up residence, so we bow down. That's why they would worship the totem pole. You following me? So that they worship these things they could touch, they could see, they could put their hands on. Huge fundamental problems here. One, they're worshiping false gods, correct? We're, we only have one god, Amen. And any time you put anything over him, that's idolatry, whether it's football, whether it's a wooden idol, whether it's money, materialism, whether it's your family, when you put it over God, it becomes your God, okay? And also part of this was let's walk by sight, not by faith. 
Because if I can see this and I can touch this, that makes me feel better and, and feel uh, like I have some kind of assurance, right? And, and listen, when you walk by, and listen, churches, people, Christians everywhere, we walk by sight, not by faith most of the time, don't we? If we can't see it or put it in our hand, brother, we don't, we're uncomfortable with it, right? But when you do this, you get away from God. Look in verse 8. The anger of the Lord burned against them. So he sold them into the hands of a man with a funny name, Cushan Rishathaman, king of Aram Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. Listen, folks, when it says that the, the, the anger of the Lord burned against them, literally this means God was hot. Have you ever heard somebody's hot, that person's hot, you were hot, you couldn't believe that happened? This means God was emotionally displeased, he was grieving, and he was angry. And it says in verse 8, basically, it, it says he sold them into the hands of their enemies. This was literally the concept of a property transfer. I own something, and I legally sell it to you. Now, you ever thought about this? God owns you and me, doesn't he? We, we, we belong to God. We're not just merely a piece of property, neither were the Jewish people. But God owns us, and when we misbehave, God has the right to do with us uh, anything that he desires to do. He turned them over to their enemies. This group was probably a group that was in the Mesopotamia area where the Tigris and the Euphrates River came together. Here's our thoughts this evening for you and me. This hadn't changed. When you get away from God, you pay. You get away from God, you pay. Whether it's crazy idolatry and worshiping a, a wooden altar, or again, it's worshiping money, it's worshiping popularity, it's putting your family above Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is. When you get away from God, things are going to go bad. Repeat that with me. Get away from God. They will. They, they, they absolutely will. It, it's, it's, just, it's a law of God, a spiritual law. Now, here's the scary thing. God oftentimes would sell the Israelites or put the Israelites into the hands of their enemies as a country, correct? I'm not claiming to be a prophet, but let me tell you, don't you think that America couldn't fall under that same curse? You think because we're America that God wouldn't get enough and finally say, okay, these people are evil, but you know what? These evil people will straighten you out and turn you back to me. That's scary, isn't it? But, buddy, it's all through the Old Testament. Let me give you the second part of this. Once again, when you get away from God, things will go bad. Didn't that sound like the, the, the main point of this point? It does, because look in verse 12 and 13. It says, once again, they had peace for, for 40 years. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they, they did this evil. The Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the, uh, the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and took possession of the city of 
palms. Wow. Ammonites are cousin to the Moabites. You go back into even to Genesis. The Amalekites were leaked to Edom, to Esau. The they, Amalekites and the Jewish people had a bad history, if you know much about that. The city of palms is Jericho. We have a picture of Jericho. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, city. When, when Cindy and I were blessed to be in Israel a few years ago, we drove past uh, Jericho, and you can see it was a, it was a beautiful city, uh, the city of palms, because of its palm trees. And it says that Eglin came in there and basically set up a a, a summer palace there, a summer headquarters. Now, look in verse uh, excuse me, look in verse fourteen. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for eighteen years. They failed to connect the dots, didn't they? If I do A and I do B, C is always going to happen. 2 plus 2 is always going to equal what? I don't care if it's new math, it's common core, it's uncommon core, it's old math. 2 plus 2 is always going to equal 4, correct? Okay. Here's something the Jewish people just didn't get. When you get away from God, you are going to be sorry eventually. Every time. Every time. Well, God's going to give me some grace because God understands I'm just upset. I'm just emotional right now. Or I just, I'm making a bad choice. Listen, a bad decision made with good intentions is still a bad decision. Do you get that? Sin is always going to reap havoc on your church, your family, or your life. Every time. Every time. Surely God will give me a pass this time. He didn't give them a pass, did he? They got away from God. Wham. He knocked them down. They came back to God. Forty years later, what do they do? They get away from God. He knocks them down. Point number one, this is never going to change until Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, it will all be different. You get away from God, you pay. Okay? That's you. That's your, that's your, your, your family, your church, whoever. Here's the second unchanging thought. Now, we're going we're to start this with a question. What do we do when we find ourselves away from God? Okay, you, you may be tonight, you're going, you know what? I have been a spiritual buffoon, and I'm in a hole. Or in the future, you'll find yourself in that spot to some degree or the other. Churches find themselves in that spot. What do we do when we find ourselves in a hole? Verse 9 It says, but when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaas, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Here's what you do when you find yourself away from God. These things never change. Number one, cry out to God. In verse 9, when it says they cried out to God, that's a great Hebrew principle. It means a distress call. It was a 911 call to God. It was a sincere, passionate, earnest plea. God, come to my mess and help me. Isn't it great to know that even when we mess up terribly and we're in the midst of our sin, swallowed by our enemies, that if we cry out to God, he will hear us. Isn't that great? Use it. That principle is never going to change. Cry out to God. Number two, repent. Repent. That means turn from it. Part of the, 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 the concept here, when they cried out to God, they were willing to change. I want to ask you this evening, are you willing to change? You know, you've heard this before, but it's so good. When you find yourself in a hole, what should you do? Stop digging. 
When you find yourself in a rut, get out of it. That's repentance. It's confessing that you've done wrong, and it's turning from it. It's stopping it. You are going to sin. I am going to sin. Part of the maturity is cutting down on the severity of those things, but we're going to. What do we do? We cry out to God, and we repent. Let me give you the third part of this. Repeat this process as needed. Verse 15, again, (laughs) the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They sent up a 911 call out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer who we're going to see in just a moment. You know, one of the things that amazes me about God is that he's not just the God of the second chance. He's the God of the 152nd chance, isn't he? And how God can be so patient with us. Many of us have been Christians for years, and we still struggle to read our Bibles like we should, to pray like we should, to witness like we should. Our attitudes still go up and down. But every time when we sincerely go to God, he forgives us, he cleanses us, And he gives us another chance. Isn't that awesome? Basically, what I want to tell you tonight, this is a process for the rest of your life, is to cry out to God and repent. I read this week, and I think to some degree this is true, the Christian life really is a life of repentance. It's a daily life of repentance. And and keep that before you. That's never going to change until you go to heaven or until Jesus comes back. Here's number three, big point this evening. God uses human leadership. God uses human leadership. Folks, I don't know why I didn't write the Bible. Actually, I had no say. I was not even consulted. Doesn't that kind of hurt your feelings? Committees are never mentioned in the Bible. Committees aren't evil. Committees aren't meant to give primary leadership to a family or to a church or to a city. Teams are wonderful things to work together to develop concepts. But God, for whatever reason, has used leadership. That doesn't always mean it's solo leadership, but he's used leadership. In verses 9 through 11, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother. This guy's got a great bloodline. Caleb was Joshua's buddy. And he saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge, their leader. And he went to, to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rashathamon, king of Aram, into their hands, the hands of Othniel, who overpowered them. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenez, died. God uses human leadership. We go to our second story. This is our great story tonight that we're going to walk through. I want you to pay attention and I want you to read, uh, read along with me on the screens or in your Bible. Elaine Caston stopped me before church, and she said she could not wait to hear uh, how I was going to explain some of this tonight. Because, this, listen, this is, this is interesting stuff, to say the very least. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer, said one of the reasons he became a Christian is as he read the Bible, he said, some of this is so strange that there, this has to be true that this is put in the Bible. And this is one of those stories. In fact, I would encourage you this week, here's a homework assignment. 
verses maybe uh, verses 20 through about 25, you look at this in as many translations as you can this week. And through by your laptop, your iPad, your computers, a lot of translations because I want to tell you, different translations shed some bizarre light on this story. But let's begin in verse 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave to them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Let's stop right there for just a second, Brian. Ehud, it says he's a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Here's an interesting little tidbit. Benjamin means son of my right hand. (laughs) He's a left-handed man. Now, here's also another interesting thing we're going to see about the Benjamites later on. They are famous for being left-handed. Now, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew here almost implies when it says that he was left-handed, that there might have been something wrong with his right hand. It's possible maybe he had a deformed right hand, but we don't know that for sure. But we know this, that the Benjamites practiced a type of, uh, of training to, to make their young men ambidextrous. And most, of course, most people are right-handed. And so one of the things they would do when the boys were little is they would tie their right hand to their side and they would teach them how to use a slingshot, uh, uh, a spear to shoot arrows or use a knife with their left hand. And, and, and folks, if you know anything about baseball or softball, a switch hitter is a very powerful tool. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great asset. Someone who can go to the, the, the plate and bat right-handed or left-handed. If you know much about boxing, uh, a boxer who, it, most boxers lead with their left hand because they're right-handed. But a left-handed person leads with the right and then they use their left. I have seen few, but I've seen a few boxers who could go either way. And that's a tremendous advantage. So you can imagine in a day of hand-to-hand combat, a soldier, most soldiers are right-handed. Someone who's left-handed would have a natural advantage. But if you were ambidextrous, you were trained to be able to use a sword with your left hand or your right hand, shoot an arrow with your left or your right, fight with knife with your left or your right. You can see that would be a huge advantage for a warrior in this time. So we don't know if he was ambidextrous or if he was purely left-handed, if he had a deformed right hand, but we know that he was very good with his left hand. Verse 16, am I giving you too much uh, trivia here? Well, I got the mic I'm going to right now. So, Now Ehud, he had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long. That is 18 inches for some of you who didn't do well in math. And he strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing. This is a big dude too. An eight, 18 inches is not a small sword. He strapped it right here. Now, I'm short, so I'm, I, you know, but an 18 inch, that's a pretty good sword right there. And he, he straps it there. Now, he goes into this king. We're going to call him King Tubby. You'll see in a minute why Eglin is King Tubby. He goes in, and the bodyguards and the soldiers naturally would have noticed if he had a sword on, right? They would have made him remove his sword. Even if they frisk him, they're not, unless they're weird, they weren't going to frisk him right here to check for a weapon probably at this time. Should have, but they they did not. So he straps this 18-inch sword uh, to his right thigh. So he passes by the guards. Verse 17 through 20, he presented the tribute to Eglin, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Wow, Eglin, the, the rest of his eternity in hell, he is known as a very fat man. Isn't that terrible? 
Wow. After he had, I thought that's funny. Y'all didn't laugh very much, but I mean, I mean, really, the Bible puts it. He's a very fat dude. Wow. Um, after Ehud had presented the tribute, he, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he came himself, turned back, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, Quiet, and all his attendants left him. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God as the king arose. Let me tell you another little interesting thing here. In 1933, a British archaeologist named John Garston found Eglin's palace in Jericho. Is that not neat? They were able to date this palace to the time of of Eglin. They were able to tell that it was like a a summer home, basically, for a rich king. And what, what it was is Eglin would come there in the summer and, you know, rough up the Israelites and take their money. But they literally found this, this place. And, and I think that's, that's neat. So in verse 21, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh. As the king stood, and he, he's a pretty strong dude, he plunges it into the king's belly. Verse 22, even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. Ehud did not pull this sword out, and the fat closed over it. Again, I think I know what C.S. Lewis is talking about here. Now, are you getting a visual here of all this? The fat closing over the sword. And Ehud went out the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and he locked him. Now, I'm just going to give you a little bit, a couple of little trivia thoughts here. That's why I'm telling you, verse 20 through 25, reading as many translations as you can this week, you'll get a different feel. We're going to see in a minute, his attendants don't come because they think the king's in the bathroom. So they won't leave him alone. That's, you leave the king alone in the bathroom, okay? Some translations say when they stuck the sword in, he released his bowels. It, you know, his, his bowels released. The New Living Translation is, is the only translation that says this. It's possible this is true, but we don't know that he actually escaped through the sewer system. Like the movie in the Shawshank Redemption when that guy escaped through the sewage system. Now, again, that's, that's only one translation that does. But somehow, he was able to get out without being caught. He was able, he was sharp enough to be able to lock the doors from the outside where the other people would have to use a key to get in them. So, Tubby's laying there dead with a sword disappeared in his fat. And uh, I'm, uh, let's, we'll just read a few more verses here. After he'd gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. You can't make this up, can you? Leave the king alone in the bathroom. They, wanted, they waited to the point of embarrassment when they opened the doors of the room. They t- took a key and unlocked them. They saw their tubby lord fallen to the floor. It's interesting. Eglin literally means calf, and he was the fatted calf, wasn't he? Uh, for sure. I'm not going to read the rest of this right now, but what, basically what happens through verse 30 is because the king's dead, Ehud rallies the people of Israel and they, they, uh, they fight the bad people. They run them out of their country. And they have peace for many, many, many more years. Now, let's talk real quick about some of this. Um, assassination. Assassinating a king. 
Sometimes when you read Scripture, you have to understand some of it is descriptive and some of it is prescriptive. Descriptive means it's telling you what happened. It's describing. It's not saying you should do that. David and Bathsheba would be what? Descriptive. It is not telling you to go on your roof tonight and look for a woman bathing. It's not telling you to do that. It's describing what happened. Prescriptive means it is prescribing for you to do this. Would assassination of a, a king ever be appropriate? You know, in World War II, a, a great Christian leader named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a tremendous book called The Cost of Discipleship, was actually imprisoned and then executed by Hitler. And part of the reason was he was a Christian minister. Part of the reason he was in on an assassination plot. I, I don't know. I, I think you better really have an, a word from God. And, and, and if you're dealing with a, an Eglin or a Hitler, maybe, and you know those things are going on, this could be prescriptive. But probably it's a lot more descriptive than it is prescriptive. But, but let, let me tell you, uh, here's, here's the thing you need to know. God uses people. He uses human leadership. I don't know why God had to do that, but that's the way God chose to work. So let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. Number one, lead well when you should lead. When you're supposed to be leading, lead well. Dads, lead your families well. Moms and dads, lead your families well. When it's your turn or your spot to lead, lead well. God uses human leadership. God uses human leadership. Number two, follow well at other times. This is tougher. (laughs) I love what I read years ago. Someone said, he who is not uh, willing to follow is not fit to lead. Amen. You want to be a great leader? Be a great follower first. Pray for, love, encourage. Sometimes you may need to set up an appointment or write a, a, a leader and and encourage them to make a change or do something differently. But follow well. And lastly, these things are going to be true until Jesus comes back. God uses human leadership. Verse 31. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Aniath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat, he too saved Israel. We believe he was probably a contemporary of Deborah. Anath may have been a couple of things, that he was from the town of Beth. Anath, or his family worshipped the goddess Anath, and Anath was Baal's sister, the goddess of war. It says he killed 600 Philistines. Now, how many of you know who the Philistines are? Goliath was what? He was not a Monroeite. He was a not a West Monroe rebel. He was a Philistine. And, and this is the first attack that comes because this is inside of their country that comes inside. It says he killed. How many people does it say he killed? 600. Okay, this is a, a kind of a modern version of an ox goat. Dr. Mark Murphy, Mark, raise your hand. Mark, let me borrow this. They use this when they're showing animals. It's a, it, it, it is. It's kind of a modern version of what a Shamgar would have used. Mark said that they use this, they'll scratch the belly of the cow. Isn't that nice? Cindy, I'm going to get you one of these. You can reach over and scratch my tummy from your recliner at night like that. That'd be good. If you do that and then ask me to do something, I'd probably do. Get me something to drink. Okay, honey. She, what she'd do, she'd catch me right here. 
So you, you can control an animal with this. Now, uh, another modern version of this is the cattle prodder. How many of you know what a cattle prodder is? Cattle prodder is electric, and it will make, make them jump too. Probably the ox gold that they were using would have been, would have been a good bit bigger than this. Some say it was 8 to 10 foot, but, but it like, like Mark's, it had probably a metal hook on both ends that you could control and push the, the ox with, especially an ox that had a harness on it. You know, you could reach out there with that hook and you could control it. This dude is a bad dude. 600 Philistines with an ox goat. How many of you want to face that guy in the w, WF? <laughs> I mean, that is a tough dude. Now, scholars say they don't know how did this unfold. Was it 600 people over five years? Was it 600 people in one battle? Was it possible that they were in some kind of a mountain pass area and then to get through here, they were coming one or two at a time, and he was whack, 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 whack. I don't know, but all I know is I believe the Bible, and I believe Shamgar was a tough dude filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's cool about him is he probably wasn't a Jewish guy. God used a non-Jewish leader to come in and save the Israelites. Isn't that cool? See, God, God uses leaders. You may not like that, but my, my suggestion would be get over it. I don't really like that when you get away from God, he knocks your head off. But you know what? I need to get over that. Here's the cool thing about the leaders. God used a leader from a great family. The first leader was a brother of Caleb. The second leader, the only thing he had in his advantage is he was left-handed. And the third thing, the only thing he had in his advantage is he had a big stick. He was the walking tall of early Israel. How many of you remember Buford Pusser? This was the walking tall. So, in other words, listen, no matter who you are, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you follow God, God can use you. Isn't that neat? Let me just say this one more time. Principles, you can do one thing, you can, one or two things with the principles. You can surrender to them and say, it's the way it is, I'm going to follow it. Or you can fight it and knock your head against the principle the rest of your life. I want to cha- challenge you tonight to surrender to them. You get away, you're going to pay. Go back to God, he's waiting on you. Lead well when it's your time to lead. Follow well, God uses human leadership. Let's surrender to Jesus and to his principles. So this evening, if you're not a Christian, when we stand tonight, come and give your life to Jesus. You want to join the church tonight? We would love for you to. We have a, in the whole month of April, you can join for free. (laughs) And if you're a Christian this evening, you look at those three things we've talked about tonight. Where are you knocking your head against the wall? Will you repent? Will you surrender to God and his principles? Let's stand. And as we sing, you come tonight. We'll be waiting.